Recovery Elevator, episode 271. So I knew that drinking was the problem. I still tried to blame everything else. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to part two of Sobriety in a Pandemic. If you'd have told me at the beginning of the year I would be doing an episode titled Sobriety in a Pandemic, I would have said, you're crazy. Okay, on today's podcast episode, we have Kirby. She took her last drink on March 25th, 2018. She's 30 years old, and she's from Charleston, South Carolina. In her interview, Kirby talks about how sober Kirby showed up once during a blackout, and while blacked out, she burned the ships. She also talks about how she never thought she was getting out of control because of the friends she was hanging out with. I know some listeners are nodding their heads to that one. It's a fantastic interview. You guys are going to love it. And before we get any further, I want to talk to you about a resource that I have personally used. And with a lot of us are at home in isolation and quarantined, this could be extremely beneficial for some. So I want to talk to you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp isn't a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. And this service is available for clients worldwide. Again, I have personally used BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P, and I found it extremely useful. And for my listeners only, you can get 10% off your first session. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash BetterHelp. I just added a YouTube video to the Recovery Elevator YouTube channel titled, Is Now the Best Time to Get Sober? And my response is both yes and no. Quick summary. Yes, now is the absolute best time to get sober. What I mean by that is you have the best percentage, the best chance right now. If we continue to drink, we are deepening the grooves in that record. The rigidity is only increasing. So neurons that fire together will continue to wire together. And each time we take a drink, we reinforce that habit. So for that reasoning, yes, right now is the absolute best time. The only reason I can think of that now isn't the best time is if you're physically dependent on alcohol and you need medical assistance to detox of the world's most dangerous drug, which is alcohol. So if you are going to be occupying a bed, then I would make some phone calls and make sure there are enough beds in a detox facility and you're not taking up a bed that somebody with the coronavirus needs to heal. Shout out to Ingo, who just hit 6,386 days alcohol-free. I am honored to be part of your morning walks and morning routine. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, let's get started. Sobriety in a Pandemic Part 2. So I got a ton of emails, messages, pings, Instagram posts from those who wanted to share their experiences regarding their journey during the pandemic. Now, I'm not able to read all of them because I got so many on the show today, but wow, a huge thank you for everyone who submitted them. I read every single one, and you guys are a true inspiration. Okay, so let's do this. Let's get started. This first one is from Patrick, and he was interviewed on episode 248, and he's from Boston. Patrick says, as I write, some 10 days ago, my wife came down with a high fever and cough. I had my first panic attack in over two years. I thought she had the virus. My six-year-old will get it, and I will also. 
I imagine my family of three locked in the house or one of us being rushed to the hospital. My daughter has an immune deficiency disorder and I went down a dark rabbit hole. In that state of panic, my first thought of drinking formed in my brain in over a year. We isolated my wife, treated her as we would with the flu or the coronavirus, and I got my daughter to sleep. I did this all in a state of generalized anxiety. Once the family was set, I went to my bed to deal with me. I laid down and I acknowledged that I was in panic, that I wanted to escape, to dive into the bottle. I witnessed this feeling and did not fight them. Instead, I owned them. I am not those feelings and I was seeing them. Today, my wife is healed. My daughter did not get sick, nor did I. We were not allowed to get a test for the virus because of shortages. We don't know what kind of virus she had. We have isolated in our home 100% to protect our community, only taking walks alone with zero contact with people in remote wooded areas. The anxiety took about two days to pass. Bit by bit, there was no magic moment that made it disappear. The magic was seeing the feelings and not acting on them. Today I choose not to drink, but to live fully alive right here, right now, no matter what comes. Thank you, Patrick. This next one is from Russell from Illinois. Russell says, I'm crawling out of my skin. I'm staying with my girlfriend and a roommate at the time, and I wouldn't exactly say my goals of sobriety are going well. My housemates think I'm successful, but I'm sneaking drinks throughout the day and I'm hiding the bottles and cans around the house. I'm removing them in the middle of the night and putting them in neighbors' trash cans and feel that at any moment I'll be busted. Seriously, this is brutal. I had 19 days away from alcohol before the pandemic escalated, and I'm not optimistic I'll be able to get back on track. I didn't want to write to you since I feel like a failure, but what the hell. Hey Russell, that sounds similar to a trip I took in 2014 in May to Lake Powell where I was on a houseboat. Everybody thought I was sober, not drinking, but I was hiding drinks in the boat throughout the day, and it was terrifying, and it was terrible, just like you mentioned. And Russell, there was also a time in my journey where I wasn't optimistic, but I made it, and I know you will too. This next one is from Carol from Colorado. She says, I'd like to share my experience with sobriety in this pandemic. I happen to work in the healthcare field at a hospital, so that may give me a unique perspective. When the pandemic first hit the U.S., things started to feel out of control and scary very quickly at work and at home. My first inclination was to drink, because that has been my go-to in situations I don't feel like I have the capacity to deal with. I did drink, but dumped out half the bottle of wine. But here's the interesting thing. I really haven't wanted to drink since that initial urge. I think it's because I had to focus and get down to business. My kids are out of school and we're in lockdown mode, so life is different at home and I feel like this is my opportunity to really be here for them and help them at this scary time. We've been spending more time together with games, puzzles, movies, dinners together, actually talking to each other. Funny side effect of something so horrible. I stay away from news stories and social media most of the time, which helps me tremendously to focus on what's important. My job feels extra stressful because it's all COVID all the time, so when I'm not there, I step away and focus on my family and taking care of myself by running, walking with my girls, my husband and my dog, and trying my best to remember most of this is out of my control. This has helped me see that when things are the most difficult, I actually can make the best choices. This has been eye-opening. This next one is from Patty in Perth, Australia. He says, I have 165 days alcohol-free, and I did this purely on willpower and listening to your podcast and reading books from the start. I'm Irish and living in Australia for 12 years, 
But since this pandemic started, I've been hearing the voices in my head to go and stock up on my favorite beers. How could I not? All I was seeing here and back home was friends going and buying four to five cartons of beer and self-isolating, and they all seemed so happy and they were doing it well. I thought to myself a few times that I should join in to get beers to self-isolate myself in my backyard because that's what I've been doing the last four to five years before the pandemic started anyways. But I haven't caved in because I don't want to feel like shite the next day, and if I do, I know it's going to be 14 to 15 beers per sitting. I feel really proud of myself for not doing this and keeping mentally and physically strong during these tough times. This next one is from Eric from Philly. Self-isolation has been a little bit stressful for me because I have a touch of claustrophobia and a general issue with anxiety. I'm a bit over four years sober, but that certainly doesn't make me immune from the passing thought of drinking. What if I just gave myself one cheat day? Of course, we all know that's not how it works for an alcoholic. Here's some of the keys that have been helpful for me. Number one, I play the tape through. We all know there's no such thing as an alcoholic just drinking this one time. Number two, keep in touch with your network of support. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone. Number three, I keep going to AA meetings, virtual meetings that is. Number four, I find a way to keep busy. Distract yourself from cravings or negative thoughts. I've taken up yoga, drawing, or writing. Take a free online class. Raid your bookshelf for the book that you've been meaning to read but never got around to. Number five, don't be afraid to go out for a walk and get some fresh air. Just be mindful of staying away from other people and being hyper aware of any surfaces you may touch. Number six, it's okay to spoil yourself a bit. These are unusual circumstances we are living in, and if baking cookies or taking a longer nap will help you feel a little bit better, go for it. Number seven, remember, keep it in the day. Life happens at one day at a time. This next one is from Julie. She says, it has made things easier for me because I have mostly mastered staying sober at home and my kids are here all the time. I've made promises to them I'd like to keep and seeing them constantly reminds me of these promises. On the other hand, my husband who is a heavy drinker and who used to travel all the time is suddenly at home constantly. It is getting very uncomfortable since he starts drinking around noon. This next one is from Monica from the East Coast. I think I had a panic attack last week. This was after not doing much of self-care, watching the news most of the day, and just sitting by my desk working all day. My anxiety has really been high lately. It's always worse if I don't do any self-care a few days in a row. That day, I was pretty sure I had the virus, and I went down a rabbit hole pretty quick. For a couple hours, I thought I was going either crazy or that I was going to need medical care. It was the craziest episode I had ever experienced. Thank God there is no alcohol in my house because I definitely would have drank that day. Going forward, I have been exercising, meditating, reaching out to wonderful people, Marco Polo, webinars, yoga, PJ parties, all this stuff has been saving me. This next one is from Katie in New Jersey. I'm very thankful to be alcohol-free during this crisis. I think staying that way has given me a sense of calm during these very uncertain times. I keep going back to the notion that drinking is like pouring gasoline on your anxiety and then lighting a match. I'm very happy to have put the gasoline and matches away. This next one is from Chris from the Big Sky State of Montana. This has impacted me greatly. I stumbled after 112 days away from alcohol, mainly due to my job in EMS education. We had to pivot to provide screening to essential industries. In 48 hours, we hired 40 EMTs that lost their ski patrol jobs. I've had very little sleep over five days, got sick, and then found out I was exposed. Five days to go in my self-quarantine. 
So yes, I have had a few drinks with the support of my family. I missed the chapter in all the quit look books on how to stay sober during a pandemic. However, all is going well, even though my routine is completely upended with no changes in the near future, so I don't know what the new norm is going to be. But I'm not beating myself up. I did 52 days, then 112 days. I will get this. I'm still very mindful of it all, and sober peeps will rule the world when this is all over. I agree with that, Chris. Great work, my man. This next one is from Greg from Las Vegas, and Greg was interviewed in episode 147. He says, For me, the pandemic and the social distancing that comes with it is another great reminder of how much better life is without alcohol. I have a feeling that if I was still drinking, I would be hitting it extra hard right about now. I'm pretty sure I would use this extra free time as an excuse of being socially isolated to justify drinking way too much. It would be so easy to say, what the hell? I've got nothing to do and nowhere to go. I might as well get hammered. Instead, I've maintained my sobriety throughout and have used the time to remind myself how blessed I am. My wife and I are both working at home and my college daughter is now living with us again. We have connected in a way that would not be possible if I was still drinking. My gym is closed, so I'm finding other ways to exercise and I'm enjoying the change of routine. Plus, by not drinking, I don't have to worry about going out to buy booze and risk catching or giving the virus. All in all, it's been a blessing to be sober during these crazy times. This next one is from James from North Carolina. I took my last drink on January 2nd of this year. I was doing just fine until my mother's health took a sharp turn for the worst two weeks ago. I was able to drive the 325 miles to her nursing home in Atlanta and spend 48 straight hours with her. Fortunately, although her nursing home had just stopped allowing visitors, they made an exception for the family of anyone who was near the end of life. I returned home knowing that I would likely never see my mother again. That is when the cravings hit me hard. I am an engineer working for an aerospace company that gets 75% of its revenue from the airlines. As the virus took hold, my company issued the order for us to work from home and shelter in place. Soon thereafter, they informed us that our recently awarded annual raises were being clawed back. It's clear that we are having serious cash flow issues, so the fear of impending layoff had me worried and strengthened my cravings. Then, my beloved mother died. My sister who lives in Atlanta and her family were able to make the necessary cremation and other arrangements. However, because of this damn pandemic, we could only have a remote memorial service via the Zoom app. Needless to say, the inability to be there was frustrating and unfulfilling. Wow, James. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm sorry to hear about your mom. Guys, and after the interview with Kirby, I'm going to share two more accounts of people's journeys during a pandemic. But before we hear from Kirby, guys, I want to talk to you about the free guided meditations on the homepage of recoveryelevator.com. Yes, they're free. What's the catch? Well, you have to do them. That's it. You get them for free. When you sign up to get these meditations, there's a quick introduction that tells you how to do the meditations, the posture, what it is, what it isn't. It gives you a little bit of guidance before you start. So I'm excited. I've been working on these projects for a while. Again, they're free. Go to the homepage recoveryelevator.com to sign up. And before we hear from Kirby, let's hear from my favorite resource, Cafe RE. When departing from alcohol, here are the two main keys to success. You need a supportive, loving community, and you have to create accountability with others who have the same goal in mind. Whether you want to ditch the booze for a month, a year, or are simply sober curious, you'll get both of these in Cafe RE. These groups are unsearchable on Facebook. Who is in the group and what is said can only be seen by members. 
you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19 a month, you get access to the community, get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online discussions, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction, and another portion goes to the in-person meetups. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Kirby, how are you? I'm doing really good. How are you? Kirby, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. How are you feeling about the interview? Pretty nervous, but excited. Yeah, that's the common response. So no worries there. It's just a fun, casual conversation. And I want to remind you, we are supported by the most awesome listener base audience in the world. So are you ready? Yes, I am. Let's do this. All right. Here we go. They're cheering you on. They're cheering me on. I'm excited to do it. Kirby, when was your last drink? March 25th, 2018. March 25th, 2018. When this interview airs, you will have over two years. How does it feel? It feels really good. I never thought I'd make it this far. So, Never thought you'd make it this far. There was a time when I said those exact same words, Kirby. Make it this far or even close, yet here we are. And listeners, Kirby sent me an email three or four months ago requesting to be on the podcast and I was not doing interviews at the time and I'm so glad to have her back and I've met Kirby in person. I've had the pleasure of chatting with her and I know at her one year mark, she reached a difficult moment where she almost went back out and drank. So we're going to cover all that and more, but before Kirby, give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, how old you are, do you have a family? And what do you like to do for fun? So I am born and raised Charleston, South Carolina. I'm 30 years old. I uh, am single, but I live with two cousins and I have three cats. So I have quite the family in the house anyway. Um, and actually, I'm lucky enough to live down the street from my dad and stepmom as well. So very close knit. And what do I like to do for fun? Everything. I like to try new things as often as possible, even things that I may not think that I'm going to be interested in, just to say that I did it. What's I something really recently you've tried? Stand-up paddleboarding. I'll oh. probably never do it again, but it was great. Did you I fall enjoyed off? it. <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah, so. that's supposed to happen. Yeah, but I, I like anything outside for sure. Hiking, scuba diving. Traveling is a big thing for me. Yeah, last year was my year of travel. So I thought I was going to hear the word later. concerts in there. Uh, I do. I do go to concerts. I've probably been to about ten since I got sober, and they're much better now. So, what's your best sober concert? Definitely Ryan Carveo. He is my third eye blind. <laughs> Ryan Carveo. Hmm. I have not heard of Ryan Carveo. Huh. Yeah. yeah, but you made the, you made the analogy. Your third eye blind. I get the 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 weight of magnitude of or where Ryan sits in your heart. So thank you for <laughs> phrasing it that way. All right, Kirby. Here we go. Give listeners background with your drinking. When did you start? How much did you drink? Were you able to view the progression? Did you ever put any rules into place to cut back? 
was there a time when you realized, oh crap, this is not going in the direction I'm wanting it to go in? Did you have a rock bottom moment on February 25th, 2018? I'm excited to hear your story, Kirby. Here we go. Okay, so I started, I think I was 13. A lot of people have stories about when did they start and they remember their first drink. I didn't. I had to track it down by asking friends. I'm not even sure. But I think I started around 13. As far as I was concerned, I had never been drunk until I was 16. And I blacked out for the first time. That was where the goalpost was for me for drinking. If I didn't black out, did I even drink? So I started working at a sports bar when I was 19 and learned a lot of ways to drink underage um, by working at that bar. I will not share them for the people who listen who are underage. But I learned how to do that without having a fake ID. So I continued to uh, use those skills to continue drinking. And when I turned uh, 21, I really started to, to ramp up at that point. I remember I actually made a Facebook post on my 21st birthday that I was attempting to uh, hit burned out liquorhead status starting today on my 21st birthday. And I think I made it. <laughs> I, I I ended up drinking about 30 days in a row at that same sports bar that I used to work at. And I was very proud of that. I was proud of the fact that I had drank for 30 days straight. So really the following year, I... Wait, real, um, real quick on this epic goal <laughs> of 30 days straight or however you phrase <laughs> it on Facebook. After the 30 days... Was there some withdrawals or did you have trouble stopping or did you just go back to business as usual? Look, 30 days is up and I'm integrating back into normal life without alcohol. Or was there some, uh-oh, I'm addicted to alcohol now? I don't really remember if you're drinking with that kind of quantity, uh, you know, the memories get fuzzy. Sure. So I think I went back to normal, which was mostly that I would drink on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, sometimes Sunday. Okay, normal still, (laughs) four days a week. All right. Only four days a week, yeah. Yeah. So the following year, I actually bought a house, and I, I felt like I was doing really well professionally and in my personal life. And um, so I really adopted that work hard, play hard mentality. And as a result, often I would go out after work. And yeah, I think that pretty much I started drinking about four to five days a week. How right much around were you drinking on those days? So we used to have a joke that shots don't count. So I would normally have probably at that time five or six beers, uh, but also five or six shots. And I... Really, it's it started to get much worse around 25, 26, uh, just, just after I turned 26. I got out of a relationship I had been in for a few years, and I kind of decided to burn the candle at both ends. And at that point, I started drinking probably eight or nine or 10 beers a night and uh, probably just as many shots. But those and, don't count. But those don't count, right? Those don't count. So... And I had actually at that point discovered that if I, if I didn't have shots, I I wouldn't get drunk, right? Because the bar was, was that I would black out. So if I didn't do shots, I wouldn't black out. And so it it didn't even count. My body would 
process 12 beers without ever blacking out. But if I added shots or my favorite Irish car bombs, I would hit that goal, which was to black out. Real quick, the blackout, was it something just just to go away or to almost be empty, to disappear, to not feel life, to not experience life? Because sometimes when you're drunk, you just want to be drunk, but to black out. And I went through this too in Spain when I got extremely lonely out there on the other side of the globe sometimes the point yeah was was not to experience euphoria from alcohol or even to be drunk or to to, just to look at my issues from a different angle it was straight up to just black out is to like time warp and to make this period of my life disappear or segments of it shall we say was is that something that's resonating with you definitely i think that i was well part of the fun was the next day putting the pieces together um part of the fun okay yeah, I haven't so, heard a phrase that way. <laughs> yeah, sitting sitting with my friends the next day and saying, "Okay, this is what I remember. What do you remember?" Oh, you know? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, gotcha. All right. It's, I thought you meant like scrolling so, through your your phone and text messages that you don't remember sending, looking for receipts in your wallet or purse. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I've, that was a good time after a fun night of partying. The next day in the morning, be like, "You did." Okay, gotcha. Now we're up to speed. Yeah, and definitely the receipts, I would crumble them up and put them in my purse. Text messages was never a thing. Drunk Kirby would always delete the text messages, so sober Kirby couldn't see them. Wow. Yeah, pr- pretty much every time. So I have a lot of text messages that I have no idea And if what you can't see them, they didn't count. Didn't happen. Yeah. Didn't count. So <laughs> I did that a lot. Definitely, I started putting rules into place. You know, one big one, no day drinking. Even on days when I, you know, say football, right, Um, trying to watch a football game, I couldn't start drinking at 1 o'clock because I knew I wouldn't stop drinking until 2 a.m. And around 26, that bar got moved as well. It wasn't 2 a.m. The bar would close at 2 a.m., but then I would continue to after party at home and bring the bar with me. Um, So we would have five, six 10 people at my house partying after the bar closed. So a lot of bars. You um, raised often. the bar of your drinking. You brought the bar back home after you left the bar. And let's back it up a little bit before the bar and before the moderation techniques. Before you do the moderation techniques, this happens with almost everybody. You reach a moment where there's a little bit of clarity where you can see where this pathway is going and you can recognize the writing on the wall. So what was what happened or what was the feeling like when you said, oh, I need to put some rules into place. This is getting out of control. I don't think that I ever really thought that I was getting out of control because most of the people that I hung out with, most of my friends and even family members drank like I did or more than I did. And so for that reason, I never really noticed that I had a problem. I just knew that if I started drinking early in the day, I knew that I wasn't going to stop. I knew once I started, I was going to drink until I was done drinking. First until the bar closed and then later until I went to bed, often at 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning. So So when was the first time where you said, "Uh uh-oh? The first time that the denial bubble popped for me was I I woke up with a broken wrist in October of 2017, and I'm 28 years old. And I had no recollection of having broken my wrist. I don't know how it happened. I'll never know. And 
I broke 13 bones and had to get surgery. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You definitely didn't just sleep on it wrong while drunk. Okay. There's no text message recollections. We know that. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah do you, no. what do you think happened? Like, where were you? Do you think you could just been at home? I was at my mom's house. I had been partying with her and some other people. And I, I don't know. They don't know either. So it happened after we parted ways in the morning. But I was definitely there. I woke up at my mom's house, but I have no idea what happened. I assumed that I fell. Yeah. Wow. 13 bones. We do everything's in extreme here on this podcast. So you're 28 years old. You wake up with a broken wrist. This is October 2017. You quit five months later in March of 2018. Fill in the gaps, Kirby. So basically, I woke up. It hurt. I didn't realize that it was broken. But I made an appointment in 13 to places. Go in. in 13 places, yes. I made an appointment to go in and get it checked out, get some x-rays, because I had had an experience earlier in life that I waited, and it turned out not to be good. So I went in, and they x-rayed it and told me that I needed to see a surgeon and find out exactly what was going on. And even the surgeon couldn't tell me how many bones I broke until he opened it up. He knew it was a lot. He just didn't know how many. When do you use the word shattered? Like, oh, I shattered my wrist. Is that 14 bones broken? I, I feel like shattered is appropriate. Let's in, roll any more okay. than two. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I shattered it. Uh, basically, I broke the uh, the two you know main bones, the, what is it, ulna and radius. radius. Um, and they ended up snapping a lot of little tiny bones in my wrist. Yeah. So I got surgery. I was sure that it was the drinking. I was sure the drinking was the problem because if it wasn't, I could have at least told the doctors what happened because they ask, you know, it helps them figure out how to fix it. And I couldn't tell them. I just had to tell them I don't know what happened. Mm. So I knew that drinking was the problem. I still tried to blame everything else. I tried to say, you know, maybe it was because I was overweight like if I had fallen and I had been skinnier, it wouldn't have <laughs> it wouldn't have broken. I could have moderated better. I could have used, you know, Adderall or cocaine or something to have a better idea because on those upper type drugs, you black out less. And, you know, so I, I actually tried to say that it would have been better if that night I had used drugs, which the thinking mind, right? But I, I knew in my heart at that moment that, it was the drinking. And so that first month I tried to avoid going out and eventually I did go back out and I was able to successfully moderate. I went out and I had two drinks and I went home and I did it again and I did it again. And the night before Thanksgiving, um, so about six, seven weeks after I broke it, just over a month since I had surgery, you know, still in a cast, I went out and I was going to moderate. I was going to have my two drinks and go home. And my friend got off of work and she was doing a shot. And I decided, oh, I can have one shot with my friend in this controlled setting. It's just me and her. Nobody and else shots is Shots don't count. Shots don't count. Yeah. So I ended up having the shot with my friend. And the next thing I know, it is Thanksgiving Day and it's 6 a.m. There are 10 people in my kitchen doing shots and lines of Coke off the counters. And I didn't stop drinking 
until New Year's Eve. So I went, that's what, five, six weeks there, where I went back to daily drinking and drinking just like I always did before. All of the car bombs, all of the shots, all the beers, and all the after parties. And on New Year's Eve, I decided that I would do dry January. I didn't know that it was called that or that that was a thing yet, but I decided that I would do one month of just no drinking at all and see how it would go. So three weeks later, I made it three weeks, 21 days. But three weeks later, the Eagles won the championship and I felt like I've stayed sober the whole football game, but then I celebrated by going out drinking. And two weeks later was the Super Bowl and I didn't drink that whole two weeks. But then it was the Super Bowl. Of course I'm drinking. The Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. I can't, this will never happen again. So I have to drink. So I did. I drank for the Super Bowl. And then I didn't drink again for 10 days. And that was Valentine's Day. And I decided, you know, I'm single. I, I've been doing pretty good with this, like, not drinking thing. I'm going to go out. I'm going to have one drink. And I didn't stop daily drinking until March 25th, 2018. Wow. So okay. another six weeks. Wow. Okay. So you're starting, you're probably starting to connect the dots and say, when I drink, it's not going to be a night. There's a chance, a high probability that I'm going to roll with this for weeks, maybe months, maybe the rest of my life. So what happened on March 25th? On March 25th. So it's actually... That, that weekend is the process. So March 25th is a Sunday. Let me start with Thursday. On Thursday, I started looking for recovery something. I didn't know what I was looking for, but I was Googling, you know, something recovery. And I ended up finding an app called Sober Grid. And it's like a social media app for sober people. And I found it, I looked through it a little bit, I saw all these people who were very successful in their sobriety and they were reaching out to people. So I was made aware that that existed. On Friday, I was actually drinking with my dad and my stepmom and I was hanging out with them. And at some point, Sober Kirby showed up during my drinking. So basically what happened was during my blackout, and this had happened a few times before, couple of weeks leading up. But Sober Kirby showed up and she started talking about how she needed to go to AA and she needed to stop drinking and she needed to sober up. And I got to hear about this the next day from the people I was just hanging out with. Whoa, just after I want to say I've heard everything on this podcast. That's incredible. <laughs> so in a blackout, Sober Kirby shows up. And what I've read in my own experience is the behavior when we're blacked out is all unconscious. It's like when you're driving a car and you go, oh, I just went through five stop signs, made it home, and I don't even remember doing it, right? And you're not drunk. It's just unconscious behavior. You make coffee, you brush your teeth. It's all these set of behaviors. It's all coming from the unconscious programs. So apparently what I'm thinking is you had made such an internal declaration to quit drinking that you made it past the analytical part of the mind from the conscious to the unconscious mind that even in a blackout, you were going on autopilot. This desire to quit drinking was so strong that it almost took over and you created this accountability. You almost burned the ships. There was part of you, this, this deep desire inside to let it out. Say, hey guys, I need help and I'm gonna talk to you guys about it in a blackout. So they talked to you the next day. What did you say? Where you're like, oh yeah, you know, that's something I wanna be talking about or did you just be like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I was 
kind of mad at Stover Kirby for, for ruining my drunk. <laughs> this was probably about the third or fourth time that she had showed up in a blackout. So I was getting really tired of people telling me about my actions while in a blackout. And yeah, I mean, that that's that's it. I was I was mad that that it was ruining my drunk, basically. So then I, I ended up Sunday, I went to I was very hungover. I didn't feel like going out and drinking because uh, I was starting to get scared that Sober Kirby was going to start talking about AA again. Yeah, it's really, really going to change the course of your life. Start maybe take over your life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this clear headed Sober Kirby go away. Yeah. So basically I had a wedding I had to go to and I didn't want to go. I was hungover. I was embarrassed. I didn't want to go. But I went anyway, and I ended up, I didn't drink that much my last day of drinking. I only had about eight beers, two car bombs, and probably six shots. I love our definitions of not drinking that much. <laughs> you probably drank the most out of everybody at the wedding. But according to us, that was an easy night. 17 It drinks. was a pretty easy night. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I, love actually, it. I love you, Kirby. It's great. <laughs> I told my bartender how much I had had. And she agreed. She said, Oh yeah, that's really not that okay, much. Here's your car keys. You're good to go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but then I woke up on March 26, 2018, my sober date. It's a Monday and I'm driving to work. And that's when I started to do the math. I saw that I had not drank for 22 days and then drank once, not drank for two weeks and then drank once and then not drank for 10 days and then drank for six straight weeks, six and a half weeks. And I realized that, that this was it, that you knew where there, it was going. Yeah. There was never going to be an option. Um, I actually just read in Laura McCowan's book, we are the luckiest. She said there's door number one or door number two. One is you get sober, two is you stay drunk. And we spend a lot of time looking for door number three, where we can just drink moderately. And there is no door number three. And I realized that on my first day. So on day two, I said out loud for the first time that I was an alcoholic. How did that, that feel? It felt scary. <laughs> it felt really scary to realize that, but also really freeing to know that that this would solve the problem. Knowing is half the battle, right? <laughs> so it felt really scary. I knew that my whole life was about to change, but I was ready to do it. I got to work and I told a girl that has known me my whole life that I was an alcoholic. And so I said it out loud for the first time by myself. And then shortly after to somebody who's known me my whole life. So not even she drunk sober Kirby, it was the actual sober Kirby said, I'm an alcoholic. You burned the ships without alcohol in your system. You're making huge progress strides. And you, you, so you tell what happens after that. So she laughed at me. She thought it was hilarious. And I, I even said to her, this is the biggest declaration of my life. And you're laughing. Why are you laughing? And she said, because I have known that for a long time. And oh, I'm glad okay. you finally know. And I'm glad ultimately that that was her reaction because not everybody took it that way. A lot of people tried to argue with me, tried to tell me I didn't have a drinking problem, which I now know is a reflection of their own drinking and no reflection of mine. So I'm glad she took it seriously, even though she laughed. <laughs> so then I, you know, I had seen that 
that that sober community existed on that app. And I really started to lean into that group. And I struggled, you know, I had the your, your head gets real loud in those early days, and, you know, starts trying to convince you to moderate or, you know, you can do it, you can go back out, you can have one drink, you can do this. But I burned the chips on day two. I sent a Snapchat video to all of my friends, including my bartenders, and I told all of my family, hey, here's the deal. I'm an alcoholic. I can never drink again. Don't invite me. I hope our relationship can survive. And if it can't, that's okay too. And it worked. At that point, I was accountable. I was going to, if I wanted to go back out, I was going to have to find a new bar because they weren't going to serve me anymore. And a matter of fact, the bar owner has been very supportive of my journey. <laughs> wow. So Kirby, what I'm hearing is you were dismantling the old survival manual, one ship burning at a time. I absolutely love that because that old life, the old Kirby, you can't go back to that. You can't unhave those conversations. And what was the responses? And then what happened after that? I think a lot of people thought that I was, I was having a phase. Matter of fact, I had a family member tell me that about four months in. I thought this was just a phase, but a lot of people were really supportive too. And some of those bartenders are actually the most supportive. And actually one has followed, followed me into sobriety since then. Yeah. So I don't know. Ultimately it worked. I would have to either hang my head in shame and tell everybody, Oh, I was just kidding. I wasn't an alcoholic after all. I can go back out. I can drink or just keep the forward momentum and keep going. And so my, I remember my fifth day thinking two things. One, why me and why now? And one of my answers to that was why not me and why not now? And also thinking that if I wanted to go back out or if I wanted to reset my counter, I definitely didn't want to do it for one beer. Like I didn't want a beer with dinner. I wanted a weekend binger. Like I wanted to be drunk all weekend, Thursday night through Sunday night. And here's your sign, right? If you don't want to go out for one beer, it's a whole weekend binge, then, you know, maybe you do have a problem. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, I, I love it. And so, yeah, if you were going to go back out, it would have been the equivalent of breaking your wrist 13 times. You would have gone big and you might not have gone out for just a weekend. It could have been months, maybe years, maybe the rate, the duration of your life. So in those early months, did you experience any cravings, any obstacles and how'd you get past them? Absolutely. So even in the first week, I went to a Ryan Caraveo concert and it was four hours away. We were driving there and two hours into the drive, the concert got canceled. And all I wanted to do was go drink. This was Saturday night. And now my Saturday night is free. Like I've been using this, this music as a way to, to, you know, fuel my sobriety and Uh, Now it's canceled, so I should just go out and get drunk. And that was my first thought. But I had a two-hour drive home first. And so I was able to convince myself that I didn't need it, that I could not drink, you know, even when something bad happened. And from then forward, every time I had a tough moment, I just turned on the Ryan Caraveo music and started to listen to it and remember that time that I overcame a very difficult moment. And fast forward, probably, I think I was about 
six months-ish when I had a foster kitten. I like to foster kittens. And I had one die. And it was my first one that ever died. And it was very tough. And I definitely thought about drinking over it. But then somebody told me to make a gratitude list um, of all the parts that I was grateful for. And that sounded really silly to me. I'm not grateful for a dead cat. That's not, that sounds awful. But once I did, and I started to make that list, and I realized things like, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I get to experience grief when it's a kitten I've known for a few days, and not more difficult grief. And I'm glad that, you know, the cat got, got me to spend his last days with and, you know, things like that. And I realized that that was the most powerful thing that I could ever do was be grateful. And so from that day forward, anytime I had a tough emotion, I made a gratitude list and it has helped every time. Listeners, these are seemingly simple, basic steps of taking out a pen and paper and writing things you're thankful for. But you've heard it 150, maybe 200 times on this podcast, the the, the power of this and what it is, it's internally when we're living life from a stance of praise, of being thankful of not just the good things, but you got to be thankful of everything. I'm going to back it up a little bit with your story on day five. You did something profound, and I, I'm not sure if you realize how big this was for you, but you were able to distance yourself from your thought and question the 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day that we have that are mostly wrong. You said, you asked yourself, why is this happening to me and why now? And there was some space there. You were to say, okay, hang on a second. This isn't, uh, it's, 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 this is happening for me and it's happening now. Why not now? I love how you said that. And so, uh, I didn't recognize this concept for, for a couple of years, but you're not the voice inside your head. And many people, I'd say a high percentage of the population don't recognize that they believe and they, they, they latch onto every single thought they have. And, 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 and you're able to, to switch that. And if you can be grateful about things and yeah, that gives you space, you can see things for what they really are. You might not know that what's going on right now is working for your favor and your benefit. And this could be the quitting drinking thing where sobriety is an opportunity of a lifetime and it is, but you might not feel it that way, but you can still be thankful for it and say, I not too sure why I'm going through this intense emotional pain right now, but I know something better is on the other side. Love the gratitude component there. Huge value bomb dropped by Mrs. Kirby. You're doing great. So after six months, and, and, and I, I meet you in Nashville, that's right around a year or a little earlier than a year for you. I understand you, you were pretty far outside your comfort zone at that moment. Talk to us about that difficult time for you and, and the event as well. Absolutely. So first, I have to say what led me to Nashville. And that was... Real quick, um, that was we had the Recovery Elevator live event in 2019 took place in Nashville. That's what it was. Yeah. So I decided... I had a friend who traveled every month of 2018 and she inspired me to travel every month of 2019. And I had all this extra drinking money that my app was telling me I had. So I figured what's the best way to spend it doing something that I absolutely love, which is travel. So I had planned out a bunch of trips for 2019, some really small, like a weekend trip to Myrtle Beach and some really large, like a Alaskan cruise. And February, I didn't have anything planned. And it was starting to make me panic. It was January. And I kept listening to the podcast every Monday. And I kept hearing you say that you were doing this event in Nashville. And it was in February. 
And finally, one day I just pulled the trigger. I probably two or three weeks before the event, I went ahead and booked it. I actually joined Cafe RE first so I could get the discount. Smart woman. <laughs> exactly. So, And then I booked the event and it was so far out of my comfort zone. I, I mean, I was having thoughts about not going all the way up until I was probably in North Carolina driving to Nashville. And finally, I just let go and said, okay, you're doing this. This is a thing, you know. And I checked into the hotel and then I went to the event and it was a meet and greet and a dinner. And I I didn't expect to feel the way that I felt, which was very shy, very reserved, very quiet, which is pretty abnormal for me. I even actually sat next to you at dinner and I didn't have anything to say to you. And I'd been listening to the podcast for about nine months at that point. So I should have had a lot of things to say, but I just couldn't. I I just felt so inside myself. So that night I went back to the hotel room and I kept wondering why I was being so shy and reserved and quiet. And I cried a lot and I kind of wanted to leave. And then the next morning I woke up, I talked to some friends and they said, you know, go do the things, you know, get, give this your, your all, you know, don't, don't come home a quitter, (laughs) you know, come home having done it, you know? And so I went to the brain spotting therapy session. And during that time, I, I thought about what, was making me so shy. And all of a sudden in this hour long therapy session, I was bombarded with all of the thoughts about every time I had ever been rejected in my life. And then it went further and I realized that all of the pain that I had felt as a result of somebody else, every time that somebody else had hurt me or rejected me, I I realized that they had their own hidden pain too. And I just sort of had a, a second moment of clarity that day. Um, my first being my first day of sobriety and this one being my second. And I realized that everybody had this pain and hurt people hurt people, right? You've heard that. Everybody's heard that. But I felt it in that moment. But I also felt really broken up about having this transformation during this brain spotting. And so... I was having a really hard time processing the emotions afterward. I ended up meeting up with the group at lunch and Trisha Lewis asked me how I was doing. And so then I cried for three hours. Yeah. And and Trisha is the host of recovery happy hour. Everybody. Great podcast. Great podcast. So I, I sat there and I, I cried to her and she listened to me and she, she cared. She genuinely cared about me and about what I was going through in that moment. And she gave me some really solid advice. And I realized that this was the the most compassionate and authentic group of people that I had ever been around. And that night, I did great. I met all kinds of people. And I, I did start smoking again that day, because I thought that I was either going to go to the hotel bar on a sober trip 
or I was going to buy a pack of cigarettes. It felt like those were my two choices and I choose the, the better of the two. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, but I ended up having a great night and I met so many people, um, people I still talk to today, talk to this morning even, and I came back a changed woman and I realized that in the future I wanted to be who Trisha was for me. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to be, um, the host of a podcast necessarily, which for the record, I didn't know she hosted the recovery happy hour podcast until I was driving home from Nashville. And I listened to that for the first time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Kirby, what you said, you want to be Trisha one day, you're doing it right now. As at this moment, I know for the last, we're at 42 minutes, this interview, you've, 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 you've made a lot of listeners nod their head and say, yep, I've been there. That's what I'm going through right now. I don't quite have the amount of time Kirby has, but I know I will one day. Kirby is giving me strength. She's giving inspiration energetically with her words. You're doing it right now. It was absolutely incredible. And and listeners, I had the pleasure of again, hanging out with Kirby at the retreat we had in Bozeman, Montana this past August. And I'm going to hang out with you in Denver. And what is it right now with almost two years that you're, that you're working on, that you're pushing through? Really just kind of figuring out what's next. I, I definitely like to go outside of my comfort zone. Um, that trip to Nashville was well outside of my comfort zone and was one of the best things I've ever done. I, I grew more during that trip than I did the whole 11 months leaving, leading up to it. So I just try and do things that scare me. I recently did the member spotlight and Cafe RE, and that was very scary. And now I'm doing this, and it scares me a little bit, but I feel pretty good. You're doing great. And <laughs> Thank you. And so now I'm really just looking for that that next thing. I, I continued my year of travel. I, I learned a lot during that. And yeah, so now it's just what's next, and I'm open to it. Yeah, I know it's a phrase, but I encourage you as well as listeners to not look for the next thing but be open for the next thing because the next thing will always show up. And in fact, when we go out and look for it, that's, that's the thinking mind trying to go in directions that we might not necessarily need to go down to. And so I'm in a period of transition, a massive period of transition, Kirby. In fact, this last Monday, and this episode comes out on April 27th, but this last Monday, I told the group, the communities about my decision to step down as leader in the communities cafe area, as well as with the podcast, the last event, there isn't a, another project or, or career or job lined up. And the next thing for me, I, I'll be lying if I said I didn't think about it, but at the same time, I'm not looking for it. I know the universe will, will provide it for me. It will show up at the right time. Perhaps I'm already going in that direction. And that's oftentimes we think is, when is it going to happen? Well, it's already been happening for the last 37 years, more specifically the last two years, a year, six months, and even right now it's happening. And so Kirby, I got one more question before we hit the rapid fire round. What is an excuse you used to tell yourself as to why you couldn't quit drinking? I couldn't quit drinking because I wouldn't be fun anymore. I wouldn't have any friends anymore. Yeah. Yep. I I understand that fully. And we both know that that's not the case. So Kirby, we have reached the rapid fire round. Answer these questions within 30 seconds. That would be great. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. What's a light bulb moment you've had on this journey? I would say a light bulb moment that I've had on this journey was realizing that I didn't have to drink anymore. 
it used to be I couldn't drink anymore, and now I don't have to. Mm, that's big. I like that. And what's a memorable moment a life without alcohol has provided you? On my 30th birthday, I woke up early. I was staying at a dude ranch, Latigo Ranch in Colorado, and I watched the sunrise over the mountains. And I never would have thought that's how I would celebrate my 30th birthday, but now I'll always remember it. Your favorite alcohol-free drink? Probably black coffee. If I want to get real fancy, I could do uh, some fire brew. Thanks. And... (laughs) Also, I like the Blackberry Bubbly. Good stuff. And Firebrew was one of our sponsors for the retreat we had in Bozeman. And what are some of your favorite resources? Definitely Cafe RE, the Recovery Elevator podcast, the Recovery Happy Hour podcast, but most importantly, speaking to other sober people, being connected uh, a lot of times with the app Marco Polo, but also text and Facebook, Instagram, all of that. I have such a community now, and that is my number one resource. What's on your bucket list, Kirby? I want to get all 50 states, and I have eight left, so I'm doing pretty good. Wow, there you go. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? I would say, why not start today? Perfect. And Kirby, before we depart, give listeners your own, you might need to ditch the booze if line. (laughs) So I've thought about my answer for this for as long as I've listened to the podcast. And I would say that you might need to ditch the booze if you get a new chat system at work and you can add your own emojis and you feel it necessary to add a car bomb and a Bud Light Lime logo as your (laughs) first emojis. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Those are so good. Kirby, sweetheart, you did fantastic. I loved chatting with you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Paul. We've got two more tales of sobriety on the front line of the pandemic. This one is from Brian. He says, drinking is a sledgehammer. It is a tool. It used to make other problems go away. It appears to work, smashing the shit out of those problems. However, the wreckage just creates new problems, and the old problems you thought you smashed simply reform. That sledgehammer was my go-to tool for anything, whether it was a sledgehammer job or not. But now, even with all the craziness going on, I look in the toolbox for tools that will actually solve the problem. When I started, the toolbox was pretty bare. Over time, I have added new tools. I'm always on the lookout for a new tool. When a problem presents itself, instead of smashing it with a sledgehammer, alcohol, I think a Phillips head screwdriver will fix this, or maybe some pliers. There's so many tools out there, we do not need the sledgehammer. Even when a problem looks like it is actually a sledgehammer type problem, I use other tools instead. This last one is from Jamie in New York. It has been said that you were responsible for your happiness and happiness is an inside job. This pandemic is challenging these principles, my sobriety and spiritual practice. I find myself sleeping more, becoming irritable, anxious more often, and not wanting to do things I used to love like doing yoga. I miss hugs my recovery meetings, the freedom to do what I want when I want. I really am grieving during this time. Through grief, there is growth. I am also celebrating one year sober on April 17th, 2020, and I'm bummed I can't celebrate like I want. I'm trying my best to remember this is temporary. I'm doing my best and leaving the rest. I'm keeping myself and others safe working from home and staying in as much as possible. I'm also grateful for all the joys my life still has, including morning runs, my cats, and music. 
I also welcome in the creativity of how to connect with my friends, family, and sober pals in new ways. So thank you everybody who shared their stories, their tales, their experiences, their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions, what they're going through. And great job to those who have made it through sober. Great job to those who are simply doing their best. We're all doing our best. And if your goals of being alcohol-free have come up short in your definition of whatever success is, get back up, stick with it. I'm right here with you regardless. Okay, recovery elevator. You took the elevator down. You got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. I love you guys.